This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. We're continuing our sermon series uh, in Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2 today. And last week, uh, and I think maybe even the week before, last few weeks, right, we've we've kind of all been thinking about New Year's resolutions. Uh, We've been thinking about 2022, and we've considered those things that we were proud of, that we'd like to continue into 2023. Uh, We've also looked at 2022, and we've said there's some things that we would like to change. I also read a fantastic uh, statistic this week that said by the second week of the new year, 80% of people have failed their New Year's resolutions. So if you're like me in this room and you failed already, you're in the majority. That's okay. If you haven't yet, congratulations. You're in the top 20%. Last year, I also asked us to reflect on whether or not we would have spiritual goals for our New Year's resolutions. Things like focusing on the fruits of the Spirit, uh, maybe spending time reading and studying God's Word and and, uh, applying doctrine to our lives. And I think the question might resound for all of us is, what do we need in order to be successful in those New Year's resolutions? So in order to be uh, stable, strong, and resilient in our Christian faith, what are the kinds of things that we need? And I think that for many of us, we could probably reflect on what we need for our physical lives as well. I think most New Year's resolutions probably revolve around some, some part of our physical body, whether we want to exercise more or lose some weight. And when we want to exercise more or lose some weight, there's things that help us achieve those goals. Going it solo, statistics will show, like you're not probably going to get very far. You probably didn't make it through your first two weeks. You sign up for a trainer? Well, they might help you stick along a little bit longer. They're also going to coach you through correct movements so that you uh, can help avoid injury. They're going to motivate you at key times. The trainer also adapts kind of their methods uh, to the person in front of them so that they might meet their goals within their specific timeline. Paul, in some sense, is ours and the Ephesians trainer in spiritual righteousness. And he's going to say, here's what you need to be strong, stable, and resilient in your Christian life into the future. He's writing to this church that he helped establish um, a few years previous. He's, he's in prison. He's writing to them and saying, I want you to be strong, stable, uh, and resilient, and here's the things you're going to need. You're going to need to return to the fundamentals. You're going to need to embody the Christian ethos, and you're going to need to know what your purpose is. So those are going to be our three points today from Ephesians chapter 2. Return to the fundamentals, embody the ethos, and know your purpose. So if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word, which comes from Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind." But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised, up, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This ends the reading of God's word. And the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. May he bless it for you and for me. Please be seated. So we want to have a strong and resilient spiritual life in 2023. There's lots of things we need to consider, but Paul is going to cover here the fundamentals uh, embodying the proper ethos and knowing our purpose. You know, the fundamentals actually make some sort of sense. Uh, When I have ever tried to work out... uh, there's something I've always done wrong. And that's when I'm squatting, like with a bar, right? Every coach since high school weights and onward that has ever seen me squat with a bar has said, something's not right. <laughs> and for weeks, they'll make me do just the bar, going up and down until I relearn the fundamental movement that is squatting. There's something that happens when I stop working out for a period of time, or even if I'm just left by myself, where I start practicing in a way that is contrary to the fundamental movement. And the problem with that is is that inevitably, if I were to continue in my own ways, it would cause some sort of long-term injury. It is not how my body is supposed to move, and yet for some reason it feels more comfortable to me to squat the wrong way than the correct way. I think the Christian life is actually very similar. I think many of us hear the gospel, we come to faith, we start learning how to move our our spiritual lives up and down, and we start to say, okay, this is how it moves, this is how it feels, but then over time, we start to find that we, we prefer moving in ways that are a little bit off, a little bit to the side, not quite correct, a little bit disproportional, and we need somebody to come around and remind us of the fundamentals. No, not this way, like this, balanced. Somewhere along the line, we started compensating our movements with movements that were improper and contrary to the fundamentals. Now, we might say that sometimes we're taught to move in, in, in this inappropriate way that's contrary to the fundamentals, but Paul right now is kind of focusing um, not on individuals per se, but on the corporate body and our responsibility. And so I'd like to just focus on how we actually train ourselves, <laughs> how we just by our very natures actually do things that are contrary to the fundamentals of the faith. And the Ephesians needed the same thing, don't be mistaken. This is what Paul is doing through verses 1 through 7. He's reminding them of the fundamental movements of the gospel. And so we're going to walk through these verses real quick. The first fundamental is that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. First, you were dead. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week. You weren't just a little sick. You weren't just drowning and needed a life preserver. You didn't need just a little bit of assistance from God. You needed resurrected from the dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were in the valley of dry bones. You had nothing on you. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, maybe you've heard why we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And sometimes we talk about this as, how how are we tempted? And we'll say that there's three ways that we're tempted, generally speaking. The world tempts us. The devil in the spiritual realm tempts us. And then our own flesh tempts us. Those are the three categories. We actually get those categories right here from Ephesians 2. First, you were following the course of this world. The course of this world leads to death, not to life. It leads to death and not to life. And I think that this means that we can acknowledge something very profound about our worldly systems. There is systematic sin at play in the world. We are systematically taught by the way that our world operates to think that something feels right when actually it is doing long-term damage. 
We are systematically taught and raised, all of us, whether we're in America or on the other side of the world, to think in patterns that are actually, actually contrary to life itself. They're the paths of the dead. But it isn't just the course of this world that we follow. We also follow the prince of the power of the air. Now, in our Western culture, we tend to downplay the spiritual realm, and the Bible doesn't do that. It acknowledges that Satan is a real figure, and so are demons. And yet, I want to draw a, a, a sharp distinction, because sometimes I hear Christians try to absolve themselves of responsibility for their temptations and sins by saying, you know, I'm just oppressed by this demonic presence, or the devil made me do it. It's not very often I hear it that directly, but they kind of insinuate it by how they're talking about it. And I'll just say that even here, that's not how Paul is talking. He said, you were following the prince of the power of the air. The responsibility follows, falls on you. You were created to do something different, not to follow that prince, but a different prince, God himself. But by nature, we did what we ought not to do, and it led us to death. But there's a third thing. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And if this doesn't describe our current culture, I don't know what does. Right now, our current culture says that whatever you desire, as long as it doesn't harm someone else, is good. And the Bible directly contradicts that. It says that your very desires must be actually shaped by God himself because what you desire is the wrong thing. You don't actually want life-giving things. You want things that lead to death itself. The Ephesians needed reminded of the fundamentals of the faith that they were dead. But although the gospel always starts with the bad news, the word gospel actually means good news. And so the good news comes in verse 4. These things were all true for you, but God. All of these things were true and would have continued to be true because of the world, the devil, and your own flesh. But for God, who because of his mercy and love when we were dead, made us alive, raised us up, and seated us with Christ. Now, there's so much that I could say about these verses right here, but I just want to acknowledge uh, something real quick. And you can, you can tell that this is kind of the emphasis of the passage in English, um, but if you were to go to the original language that, that Paul wrote in, you'll find that he's actually, uh, at least two of the words, kind of making up a new word, kind of like brunch He's like mushing two words together. And so these words are um, made us alive together with is all one word. Made us alive together with. He's just like mushed it all together and it's one, one big word. Raised us up with, seated us with. All of these are kind of one word things that he's trying to uh, highlight and emphasize the fact that this is what matters. But we're going to focus a little bit more on that uh, a little bit later in our sermon. But for now, I just want to know why God does it. We were dead, but God, because of his great love, mercy, and kindness. If you remember last week, I asked the question, how do we know that God loves us? And Ephesians 1, 3-14 says, we know that God loves us because he saved us. He showed us favor that we are not entitled to in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Okay, so what does this have to do with the fundamentals, right? We talked about being dead, and we talked about but God's graciousness and saving us. Um, here's the fundamentals. We kind of have two ditches of our Christian life that we, that we steer towards. On the one hand, we have works righteousness. And this is how this tends to look for most of us in this room. Uh, we are saved at some point in our lives. You know, we come up, uh, we pray the prayer, we sign on the line, and, and we start learning the fundamentals again, and we go, okay, this is by grace that I've been saved, but now, now I've got to work. Now I've got to prove it. 
Now God's sitting up there and like, all right, I gave you forgiveness of those past sins, but these new ones, what's, what's going on over here? Are you, you going to handle those? You going to take care of that before we, we meet back together and we come back together on a Sunday? It's worse righteousness on one side. On the other side, we have uh, what's sometimes called worm theology. And it's where we tend to perceive of God as, as a little bit uh, grumpy, um, dissatisfied, embarrassed, that he has to save us at all. So worm theology, because we see ourselves as worms, we're just like God had to do this thing because of his character, but he didn't really want to in the first place. And so he offers us salvation, um, but he's upset that he had to give his only son for it and that we still behave so poorly. We're keenly aware of the fact that we're dead, but we actually think that God saves us begrudgingly. Can I say that word correctly? Begrudgingly. Um, Not because of his mercy, love, and kindness. There are many of you who struggle with the fundamental fact that you're dead, that the ways of this world lead to death, that all other religions lead to death, that your heart itself can deceive you, that your rationality can deceive you, that there really is a supernatural realm and you need to go back to the fundamentals and hear what Paul says to the Ephesians, that you are in fact dead. There are some of you that are keenly aware that you don't have what it takes, but you don't really believe that God loves you, that he shows kindness to you, that his mercy is for you, and you need to go back to the fundamentals and hear these words that Paul is telling to the Ephesians, that God brought you from death to life to raise you up and seat you next to his son because of his love, mercy, and kindness. We cannot fall into either works righteousness or worm theology. Works righteousness saying that God just offers me a little bit of assistance now and then, but for the most part, I got it. Or worm theology where God is reluctant to save and holding a grudge against us until we can pay it off. We need to go back to the fundamentals. If we don't, we'll continue practicing a theology, whether it works works theology or worm theology, um, that will do long-term damage to ourselves and others. Misrepresentation of the gospel itself. Okay, so the first thing that we need to have a strong, stable, and resilient spirituality in 2023 is a return to the fundamentals that you have been saved by grace. But you also have to embody the right ethos. And actually, for uh, you know, physical New Year's resolutions, I think this makes a lot of sense to us. Uh, any, any one of you uh, who regularly go to the gym uh, consistently throughout the year, you guys are, are strong and powerful people. I wish I, wish I, could, I could do that. Um, Inevitably, I hear the complaints roll in the first few weeks of January. Man, the gym is just so full of these New Year's resolution people who don't have what it takes. Right? They're in my way. They're not cleaning the machines. They don't know the proper etiquette, and they don't know who the real lifters in this gym are. And Christians, I got bad news. We, we're really quick to embody that same ethos in our churches. These new Christians, these young Christians, these Gen Z Christians, these millennial Christians, these inner city Christians, they don't really have the theology to stick out the Christian life. In fact, they're kind of in my way. Or maybe their music is in my way. They don't take care of the building that we work so hard for. They don't know the etiquette and the rules and who the real spiritual lifters are in this church. This is what Paul has to say in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
Paul circles back around to this point that he's mentioned over and over again, that it's by grace you have been saved, to remind the Ephesians and us that none of us have what it takes on our own. None of us have the right to look at anybody else in this room, myself included, and say, you just don't have what it takes, or that you're in my way. Because here's what Paul's reminding the Ephesians of, we're all in each other's way. All of us take advantage of the church for our own consumption. We're just consumers. We show up here and we're just like, I just want to learn, but I don't really want to contribute. In fact, what's the most minimal way I can contribute? Is it just leaving my money in the offering plate? I don't really want to talk to anybody. I might duck out quick. We're happy to critique a sermon, which just, to be fair, my sermons deserve critique. They're not perfect. But we're happy to critique a sermon, but we're afraid to talk to our coworkers, partners, or golf buddies about the gospel. We're happy to be non-committal to our communities of faith and our small groups in here because you know what? We're only assigned here for a couple years anyway. I don't really want to break any hearts, you know? Why would I bother? None of us know the etiquette. All of us are blind to each other's hurts and our struggles. And because we're blind to each other's hurts and struggles, we actually prefer to keep them hidden instead of sharing them in this community, which the gospel says we're supposed to do so that the light might shine, the light of God's word from, from our brothers and sisters of Christ that we might experience healing and growth and strength. Instead of creating a Christian community, we create a nice community. Now, none of us in here are the real, real spiritual lifters in this church, your pastor included. I'm surely called to occupy a particular role among you, but don't get it mistaken, I depend upon God's grace every hour of every day just like you do. And God's grace saves me every hour of every day, just like it does for you. Brothers and sisters, let us thank God that we are saved by grace through faith, not as, not as a result of works, so that we may not boast. And if we are ever to boast, let us boast like Paul, where he says in another letter, only in the cross of Christ. And what he means by that is our utmost dependency upon Jesus alone. Not what theology we got right, not that our music is superior, not that we've, we've got great spaces or great programs, but on Jesus Christ alone. Okay, so to have a strong, stable, and resilient uh, Christian faith in 2023 requires that we return to the fundamentals and that we embody the right ethos. But we also need to know the purpose of our spirituality in the first place. Like, what are we doing? And here's what Paul says in verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know, it's interesting when we start talking about like, well, God did all this work, right? If you were to read through this, God's, God's um, the subject of all of these verbs. And so you would say, God made us alive. God raised us up. God seated us. Uh, and so like, do I, do I need to work to be good? Like, can I just live my life if it's already done? And Paul's logic is like, no, because he's done all this, he's actually given you some sort of authority Authority underneath Jesus, to be sure. He's the one that's done it perfectly. But authority that matters here and now. Good works prepared beforehand by God that you should walk in them. Here's the idea. We can actually do things that matter eternally here and now. And it's not just sharing the gospel, of course, that it is that. It's how we go about it. It's, of course, the proclamation of the word itself, but it's also in how we live our lives and how we work our jobs. You see, Jesus will one day return and all things will be made new. You guys have heard this um, uh, language, right? Our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. It's not that our bodies are obliterated and we're spirits floating out in you know, space forever. Uh, we actually come back here 
to a remade earth where heaven and earth are reunited. And Jesus' kingdom reigns here now. And we have our resurrected bodies just like Jesus did. And maybe we eat fish with him next to a lake. I don't know. This earth isn't destroyed so much as it is transformed, which means there's going to be life, eternal life, after this one. The Bible talks about Adam and Eve when they fell that there was a curse. And it talks about it as thorns infesting the ground as we sing at Christmas, right? Uh, Chris... Creation itself was cursed because of the failures of the ones tasked with overseeing it. And of course, the Bible speaks to Adam as if thorns are going to be in the ground, but it's not just your yard that has thorns, is it? It's your marriage, it's your parenting, it's your workplace. Everything about this world has thorns choking out life that God has created. And now that we are alive, been made alive and seated next to Jesus, we are agents of this new creation under his authority. And it means that our good works are that we recognize the thorns that are choking out the beauty of God's world and we labor to remove them. So many of your occupations and your vocations actually do this. I would argue all of them, right? Like we have ta tasks that pass along our desk that are, um, that are from our boss, right? And we could choose to view those as like, I'm just working for the man, you know, I'm just working for the boss. Uh, but that's not how the Bible calls us to look at our work. You labor as unto the Lord, right? You're working as unto the Lord. So whatever the tasks come across are, your job is to see them in light of his kingdom as an agent of new creation. And this touches on everybody. If you're in law enforcement, you identify the thorns of bad guys choking out life in this world, and you work and you labor to bring them to justice. And by God's grace, that really matters. If you're a parent, then you work to see the thorns of this world, the devil, and your children's own flesh that are choking them out, and you labor to remove those thorns without damaging the plant itself. If you're in finance, you're tasked by God to see how there are systems of oppression at work in our communities, in our nations, and you work to provide opportunities, not just for yourself and for your investors, but for those whose financial agency has been choked out by the weeds of this world. And of course, all of this, all of this in every aspect has to point back to Jesus. If it's truly a good work, when we actually, by God's grace, accomplish a removal of one little thorn by our power, we look back and we say, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Your work here has real and everlasting purpose because God made it so. He didn't make it meaningless. He didn't make you alive and raise you up into heaven and seat you at the right hand of Jesus Christ himself for you to be slothful? But to work in freedom because it's not, your eternal position is not dependent upon how well you perform because inevitably we will perform poorly. <laughs> Especially if you're comparing yourself to the only person you should be comparing yourself to, which is Jesus. None of us quite learn the fundamentals. We struggle to live with the right ethos, and we definitely don't do the good works that we're supposed to. We leave a lot of good undone, and even the good that we do, we do half-heartedly. All of us struggle, and so we depend upon those key operative words in this passage, those words that Paul was creating that I was talking about earlier. Made us alive together with, raised us up with, and seated us with. With who? with Jesus. As we labor in this world, 
as we depend upon him for our uh, spiritual strength and fortification, we have to constantly look back at the fundamentals, constantly look back at him to know what the ethos is, constantly look at him to see what real good work actually is, constantly depend upon him for that good work each and every day because we will fail. I mean, parents, we know we fail. Right? Like maybe in your job, you can be like, you know what, I'm killing it at my job. I'm not, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that later. I'm sure there's some, some areas to improve. But like parents, we just instinctively know. There's times that we're like, man, I handled that really well. But I would say mm, 90% of the time, you're like, oh, that probably could have been handled better. To have strong, stable, and resilient Christian lives necess- necessitates that we see ourselves united to Jesus every single day imitating him, pretending to walk in his footsteps even though we're so bad at it, utterly dependent upon his finished work as the basis for our strength and our core. You want to have a strong spiritual life in 2023, you're going to have to learn to be more dependent upon Jesus, not less. So that when we see our distorted fundamental movements, we don't have to double down in works righteousness or despair in worm theology. Or when our ethos is self-centered, we don't have to do the same thing, but we can recognize how Jesus is actually the one who guides us in the correct um, ethos and path that we need for our churches. And when we see those good works before us that we have failed to do or that we've done poorly, we rest in him that he will leave no good thing undone. You guys ever heard that? That Jesus, like when he's making all things new, he's making all sad things come untrue? doesn't mean that he's necessarily erasing them, but it means in the new heavens and the new earth, he is actually wiping away every tear, making sense of everything, and he will make sure that it is completed, and he invites us into the process to be united, seated next to him with our agency in the world, laboring to remove thorns and shine light in dark places. Amen? Jesus gave his very body and his blood is what we celebrate at this table here so that these things might be true. To actually bring us from death to life, he was going to have to go from life to death. The only person who was not dead, who knew the fundamentals, who knew the ethos, and who did all the good works, right? The only person who did not deserve to die stood up there and he said, I will take what is due for you and you will take what is due for me. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and having blessed it, he broke it. He turned and he gave it to his disciples. As I am ministering in his name, now give it to you. And Jesus said to them, take this bread and eat it. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed it and given thanks, he said to his disciples, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the remission of the sins of many. Take and drink. What we acknowledge in taking the sacrament is that we are united to Christ Jesus in his body, in his blood. And even on the doorstep of our own death, we look at this promise and we say, he will not fail to bring me from death into life. So who is this table for and who who may participate? Uh, This is not Uh, our denominations table. Uh, You don't need to be a member here at Trinity Church, but what we do ask uh, because of the commands of our Lord in Scripture is that you do examine yourself. Uh, And the way that we say this is if you've been baptized, if you've been, you've declared publicly your union with Christ and his death and his resurrection through, through the sacrament of baptism, and you are a member in good standing of a church, 
uh, which means, uh, you know, you haven't sinned horribly against a brother and sister in Christ that you have not gone to ask for forgiveness. Um, and you've worked to make those, those things right, uh, to, to have union with one another because we're all partaking of the same body, then this table is for you. Please come and take. And if this is not true for you, I would love to talk with you more about how to make it true, uh, how to get you baptized, um, how to reconcile with a brother or sister in Christ that you have wronged. Um, that's, that's part of my job that I've, I've been tasked here with. So find me or Kyle or any of our staff um, or our contact information is in the bulletin. You can, you can look for us there too. Uh, but we would ask that you do not partake of this table today that you go and make things right, that you do go and get baptized before you come and participate with us so that you might not be declaring outwardly something that is not an inward reality. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we can come down the center aisle, and then we can go to these serving stations on my right and my left. Um, I believe uh, if you require the gluten-free option, you're going to want to go to my left. They also have regular bread over there, so you don't have to go over there if you're like, I don't want that gluten-free stuff. You know, so you can go. I, I just noticed sometimes there's a disparity between the lines, so you can go. They, they have other bread over there, too. Um, Gluten-free bread. There's also red wine and clear grape juice. Please take according to your conscience. If you would, please pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the fundamentals of the gospel are a greater gift than we could have ever imagined. The favor that you show us, Father, in the sacrifice of your Son, humbles us. When we really consider the fact that we are brought from death to life, by Jesus our Lord going from life to death, it shakes us to our core. Holy Spirit, we ask that even as we partake of this bread and this wine this morning, that we, um, as we eat this, this symbol, uh, that we, we might be reminded that we are just as dependent upon the body and blood of Christ as we are for daily food. That not an hour goes by where we do not need it. We do not need his intercession for us on our, on our behalf. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would transform these common elements to their supernatural use to nourish our faith, our dependence upon Jesus, that he will not fail in any of his promises. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.